This is another edition of your Sing Second Sports Podcast. I am John Schofield. Joining me is Ward Carroll, class of 82, and Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. Wags, another Navy game has been canceled. Uh, Our game against Memphis is now off. Uh, This is coming on the heels of Air Force and Army being canceled. So, Wags, you've been writing about this. You've been talking to me about it all week. It's very possible that this cancellation results in a cancellation next week um, against South Florida because South Florida and Navy are not in the running for an American Athletic Conference championship. So maybe they rescheduled the Memphis game for the next week when we were supposed to play South Florida. What do you think this means? And do we even play that game you know, do we like bubble it up until the Army Navy game? All good questions, John, and uh, not a lot of answers. The American Athletic Conference will do what it feels necessary to make sure that it has the right championship game. The American Athletic Conference championship game is too important to not ensure integrity that the best two teams get there. At present, the two games that Navy's had canceled, Tulsa and now Memphis, both of those teams are in the hunt. Tulsa more so. They do not have a conference loss. And the problem is neither Tulsa nor Memphis have open dates that fit with Navy open dates. At present, the only open dates Navy has are the final weekend of November and the first weekend of December. And I spoke to Chuck Gladchuck today, and he is very reluctant to play the week before Army-Navy because he doesn't want anything to happen to jeopardize that game, as we all know how important that is revenue-wise. And we could go on and on talking about lost revenue because these games that are being canceled, these Saturday television games of Tulsa and Memphis, that's going to cost the conference money which is going to trickle down and cost every school money. So losing revenue at this time is not an option. What revenue is out there has to be taken. So Chuck Gladchuck is in no hurry to want to play on December 5th. That leaves November 28th, but Tulsa and Memphis have games those that day. So now one option, Memphis is scheduled to play Stephen F. Austin next Saturday. That is a game that does not need to be played. It certainly does not take precedent over playing Navy. However, again, as mentioned, that's not as important as Tulsa Navy, which could have far greater implications to the American Athletic Conference race. So it's just a hodgepodge. But yes, it is potentially conceivable the American Athletic Conference could tell Memphis, do not play Stephen F. Austin next week. Uh, Navy, you're not going to South Florida. Your Memphis is going to play at Navy next week, and we're going to move South Florida to Navy on uh, the 28th. Although I think South Florida has a game that day too. I think South Florida plays 
Central Florida, which is a big in-state game. So it is just a giant mess, John. And Ward can weigh in here because this is kind of right up his alleyway. But did we not know this was going this way? College football's falling apart. Southeast Conference might not have a single game played this week. Every single program has got COVID issues. Um, you're right. There is a chance that Navy just punts on the rest of the American Athletic Conference games, which in the grand scheme of things do not mean anywhere near as much as Army-Navy, and just says, you know what, we got to get to December 12th at Mikey Stadium at West Point. So we know that it's sort of netting out as about 40% of any normal football season in terms of the TV revenue that they've had so far, no gate receipts, um, Army-Navy not being in Philly. If these games can be played and CBS Sports is going to cover them, uh, is that what's the calculus in terms of prep for Army? You know, I, that, that's got to be what where Chet's head is at. But the other trump card here is just the reality of COVID. As we said um, previously, the brigade right now has, it's not just a football team thing. The brigade is, is weathering a COVID spike. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if uh, it might turn into a situa- situation where the soup has got to call the semester. Not to be alarmist. I don't have any evidence that that's, uh, you know, pending. But we saw what happened at Air Force in the spring. We do know, in spite of there aren't any numbers being put to it by the public affairs shop at Navy, that there is a, a, a COVID out, a COVID spike happening with the brigade. It's not just a football team. You know, it's a women's crew team. It's a, you know, the isolation wing of Bancroft Hall uh, is, is uh, well populated. Um, so we presaged, we predicted that this would be the case, that the other shoe dropping after the Tulsa game was canceled would be because of the isolation period. It hadn't been anywhere near 14 days that the back-to-back home games, you were going to lose Memphis and boom, here we go. So now we've seen some message traffic and things between NAAA and, and WAGS, you got your ear to many tracks. Um, so there's a chess game going on, but above it all is this reality of, of the COVID environment going into cold weather nationwide. It's getting worse. It's not getting better. Yes. Pfizer has said, Hey, we got a vaccine that's 90% effective. That is not a mitigator for the current wildfire that is gripping the nation. So, um, I don't know. I have my doubts as to whether or not we've seen our last, never mind home football game, uh, last football game period. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Yes or no. Do you think there's going to be an army Navy game? Yes. I think there will be an army Navy game. I think it's too important economically to both institutions. As of now, army's already lost air force, which was a big payday that, you know, I, I turned on, uh, the television Saturday, and there was a noon primetime slot on ABC for what was supposed to be Army Air Force. So these service academy series games, the Commander-in-Chief series games, are big bucks television-wise. So I think Army and Navy will do whatever it takes to make that happen. And I kind of agree with Ward on one level that 
I could see Navy punting the rest of American Athletic Conference. They're not going to win the American Athletic Conference at this point. And why there's it's not that crucial to play the game. Why do you want to bring the team down to Florida and risk just the whole travel and situation? I mean, they're, they're already on a precarious in a precarious position. You know, the, the, I think the the smart, sound, strategic decision is hunker down, practice as much as you can for Army Navy because really at this point that's the only game left that means anything. Um, but Navy's part of a conference and they have obligations to the conference. So I, I don't know where that stands, but I guarantee you Navy will fight very hard not to play December 5th, the week before army. Cause that's just getting too close for comfort. Let me just mention one other oddball here. When we talk about the commander in chief's trophy, army and air force are now talking about possibly playing each other in the independence bowl. Army's already accepted a bid to the Independence Bowl. I don't know how Air Force gets in. Are they even going to win six games? I don't even know the possibility, of, but it's been thrown out there that they could play in the Independence Bowl, and then the Commander in Chief's Trophy Series is back in play. Do we actually need to play this? Can we have an asterisk? You know, in in the age of asterisks, you know, a, a, alongside the Army Navy game to say. Hey, in the spirit of health for our players, for our students, for our everyone. So Ward, I mean, would you let them play knowing that the financial gains are significant? Or would you say, hey, it's health and safety of the players above all else? So I I don't think that's the choice. That's not the matrix, right? So I think you were on to something earlier in in your premise, which is... um, and, and Wang's hit it too. So uh, let, let's say that the Army-Navy game matters and the Army-Navy game is, is, is a higher priority than the balance of the AAC games. Um, now, never mind the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy. So the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy is the FedEx Cup, right? It's a very new thing. It does not have the tradition of the Army-Navy game. Um, so it's sort of like saying if you win the Masters, it's points towards the FedEx Cup, and that's what you care about. No, 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 you won the Masters, right? So if you win the Army-Navy game, you won the Army-Navy game. Not, oh, but there won't be a Commander-in-Chief's trophy this year, so therefore it doesn't matter. Um, so the other thing, the way to preserve health is to, as Wag said, you have to establish the bubble right now. So guess what, football team? No liberty starting immediately. And, and so now you isolate, you keep testing, you practice. Rip Miller Field is your home. Hang out in Ricketts. But that's it because we're already in close in terms of the Army-Navy game. That's how I would do it. With respect to what Wag is saying, you are part of a conference. I don't know if you can just do the Heisman to the conference and go, we're just cold not playing these two games, right? And, and I don't know if you can say for safety, for health, whatever – but then you just lock down the football team. I don't care what the brigade is doing, if they're wandering around town or going to their sponsor's house or not. The football team is in a bubble. And then they can come out of it when we sing second up at West Point uh, after the Army-Navy game. That, that's how I would do it. Uh, and then the, the revenue associated with the game is realized. 
each of you make um, you know compelling arguments for the different scenarios that will um, will ultimately be considered. It is important to uh, remember, and each of you have said this over the last couple of days or on the last couple of pods, um, it, it's not like the football team, to the best of our knowledge, you know, got COVID in their football activities, right? So it's not like they played BYU and got COVID or they played another team and got COVID. Um, to the best of our understanding, this is, as, as Ward just said, is a larger Naval Academy uh, issue. So whether they play the conference or don't play the conference really doesn't have a, a health and comfort angle to it as far as I'm concerned. To, to me, it's if they can play, they play um, w- with the priority being the Army-Navy game from a scheduling standpoint. So um, I, I think that each of you are correct when you say, hey, the soup and the don and, and the powers to be need to reestablish the bubble, um, regain the health and welfare of the larger um, brigade of midshipmen of which the football team, um, you, you know, live in and uh, are, are, are affected by. And, and, and then you schedule the best you can schedule with, with the, the Army-Navy game being the, the top priority in, in, in the end. But it seems that this whole house of cards came crashing down as a result of uh, Liberty and, and folks getting after it uh, out in town. I'm sure you guys see the, uh, the Instagram posts like I do. Um, I mean, you know, college kids are college kids and uh, there is not um, social distancing being practiced in the town of Annapolis when uh, the 20 somethings are out there uh, on Liberty. And, and so until you fix that problem, um, the football part of it um, r- really can't be seen as as separate and distinct. Well, Chris made a very good point. The bubble blew up, and that's the reason the Naval Academy did so well for so long is that they did have a true bubble. And what happened was, I think, frankly, they got a little complacent. Plus, the mids were getting antsy, and they wanted off. <laughs> and so they started granting liberty. And they did a couple of weekends of very limited liberty with tight restrictions on what you could could do and couldn't do, and nothing happened. And so they got even more complacent. And the bottom line is it was inevitable. You let them off that yard, and COVID was going to come back in. And as we have said, what made the bubble so successful for so long, which really this is a long time. Navy got, you know, what, eight games in before we got to this point? That's Pretty amazing. Most every other college football program has already had its outbreak, its problems, canceled games, shutdown of football activities, etc. So Navy made it a long way before things hit home on the academy campus. And it is. It's a Naval Academy-wide problem. Uh, Just a couple of sides. This is happening at Air Force Academy and at West Point. Massive outbreaks. Um, Air Force Academy is already canceled. A second game in two weeks, just like Navy. And Army, listen to this. Jeff Munkin took the entire football team off campus. He took them out of the dormitories on West Point campus and moved them into a hotel to try to set up a football-only bubble. So I'll go back to what I've said all along. Navy and Army are going to do whatever it takes to play the Army-Navy game. And One thing I learned from the American Athletic Conference today was that ultimately the school president, or in the case of the Naval Academy, 
the superintendent has the final say. The American Athletic Conference can only dictate so much, but if the Naval Academy superintendent flat out says, we're not playing any more games, then that's it. They're out. Now, there could be penalties, ramifications from the conference about, as Ward just said, giving them the Heisman. But in the end, the superintendent can have the power. If he determines that the only football game left worth playing in the rest of this season is Army, he, he can make that call. All of a sudden, everything seems to be center of gravity around football, which makes sense because it's football season and, you know, Alabama is playing LSU next weekend. And there are all of these high profile games that, that America gets behind. But at the same time, you have COVID um, incidents growing, particularly in Anne Arundel County at record setting event or record setting levels, I guess as a communicator, and I'll, I'll send this to you Ward because you're a very gifted communicator how do you try to convince the internal and the external audience that football is under the same standard that everyone else is under? Or do we now start saying, hey, it's really a different standard and football is football and you guys just have to get on board? No, you never say that. And, and if, if Emil Buck shuts down Liberty it's not because we want to preserve the balance of the football season or the Army-Navy game. It's because there is a spike brigade-wide. And if they don't do that, they're going to have to call a semester, right? It's just like everybody go home and we'll do virtual learning um, and we'll have the just like we did second semester last year. That it'll, it'll, it'll devolve to that. And I know just for the same reason he reconstituted the brigade – for I-Day and for reform, um, as we've said, uh, you know, a bunch of times on the, on the various episodes, three prongs to the mission. Um, you can't do two of them with virtual learning. So whatever he does, it's going to be with the overall mission and the totality of the brigade, knowing he has to deliver less than a thousand or so, you know, qualified personnel to the fleet at the end of May. The fleet is operating in earnest. You know, they're, they're, they haven't stopped deployments. They're still doing flight school, SWAS, nuke power school. All that is happening. You know, COVID, COVID hasn't affected the, in fact, COVID has made the deployment ske schedule more burdensome. You know, we're, we're breaking records for fast attack submarines on patrol and destroyers and all kinds of stuff because the demand signal has not yielded at all. So that's where Emerald Buck's head is at, you know. Um, and again, this goes back to, I think the logic is, if, if you're going to, um, the way you say, the, the way you create equity, the, to your, your question, John, um, is you make the, the, the responsibility and the burden of having an Army-Navy game fall on the football team, not on the brigade. You know, and, and so, again, this gets back to what I think is the way forward, which is you put a bubble around the football team. The other thing, the other reason that Admiral Buck started having liberty is because it wasn't just they were, you know, bored or, or getting stir crazy. They were having some serious health and well-being issues. Um, and, and so, he, you know, he had to it was bend, don't break. And as soon as you start breaking 
Um, then your matrix is stop liberty, see what that does to the, the COVID rate. And then after that, send everybody home, you know? Um, and, and if the hotspot is the yard, then you've got to, you know, send everybody home um, and, you know, with appropriate testing because you don't want to introduce all these COVID positive people back to, you know, the rest of the world. So, you know, obviously, as Wags pointed out in chat here, this conversation has gone a lot of different ways, um, but it all comes back to what are we prognosticating will be the way forward and what do we think is going to happen for the balance of the season? I think that you can call the AAC. It's not happening. We're not going to play USF. We're not going to play Memphis. We're not going to play Tulsa. Um, and you will have a bubble created around the football team. And we will have the Army Navy game up at uh, at West Point. That's that's my prediction. Breaking news also this morning that I'm sure uh, Wags can break down. The Patriot League trying to plan ahead uh, has come out with um, kind of a policy on the uh, the basketball schedule going forward in the new year as we uh, bid 2020 goodbye. Thank goodness, um, and look ahead to 2021. We do know that. As, uh, as the basketball season begins somewhere around Thanksgiving, that the Navy basketball team is going to get to play the Maryland Terrapins, which is super fun. Uh, it, it is another example of the collision of my worlds in terms of sports. But Wags, what do you think um, you know, basketball will look like? Uh, and what do you think about Navy now playing Maryland again for the second time in three years? Well, I think it's great that Navy and Maryland are playing. I never understood why they haven't played more often, being how close they are. And it's an obvious in-state, you know, matchup. Um, they kind of just stopped playing in the eighties or whatever it was. And, you know, obviously it was great that they got back together for the veterans classic. And now because of COVID and its situation, it makes sense that Maryland's doing a little pod. They're going to have Navy and Mount St. Mary's come up there and Navy plays Maryland and Mount St. Mary's and Maryland plays Mount St. Mary's Navy, et cetera. So, um, that's great. And the, uh, I'm still trying to digest the announcement that came today about Patriot League basketball. Basically, what they're saying is that Patriot League basketball play will not begin until January 2nd for all schools except Army and Navy. Obviously, that means no non-conference games for every school in the, in the league except for Army, Navy. And again, it goes back to the same reason why Navy was allowed to pursue fall athletic competitions when the rest of the Patriot League was not uh, the mission of the institution, the physical mission. So Navy is playing George Washington in the Veterans Classic on Friday, November 20th. And uh, the only other game other than the Maryland Mount St. Mary's, the only other non-conference game we know for sure the Navy has is uh, December 16th. They've got a listing on their schedule that they're playing Morgan State. But the rest of the Patriot League is not going to start playing until, until January 2nd. And they're going to have regional pods. So Navy's pod, and I've, this information has come from Navy Sports Information since we started this podcast, but Navy's pod, as you would expect, was the two nearest schools, American and Loyola. And a tentative schedule, which has been produced, shows that Navy would play Bucknell, Loyola, American Army, and Lafayette twice. Um, so uh, there's more information to be, I've got to talk to the two coaches to get uh, 
more information about exactly how this is all going to work. But I'm looking at a schedule in which Navy will not be playing a good number of the Patriot League schools, particularly those in the north, uh, Boston University, Colgate, and Holy Cross. Yeah, that, that kind of covers the uh, it, the sports roundtable. We're going to come to you later in the week with the uh, you know with the more thorough breakdown of Memphis. Should there be a Memphis game? But as we go out, I really want to tip my cap to the Naval Academy and to Naval Academy sprinter and hurdler Sydney Barber. Um, Sydney Barber, if you didn't see anything online this week or this past week, was announced as next semester's brigade commander for the U.S. Naval Academy, making her the first female African-American brigade commander in the history of the school. Uh, Just in 2017, the Military Academy at West Point uh, named their first ever uh, female African-American Corps of Cadet commander, and that was Simone Askew. So uh, following up on West Point, um, breaking that, um, breaking that mold. I'm very happy that um, that Sydney Barber has been named the uh, the brigade commander for next semester. Not only is she a phenomenal midshipman, but she's a hell of a sprinter and hurdler on the track and field team. Ward, I know you saw a post from Jeannie Mines this week congratulating Sydney Barber for that. How significant is is this for the academy? It's significant for sure. Um, Classmate of mine, Michelle Howard, was the first African-American female four-star. We're very proud of that fact as a class. So this is progress. Um, I can tell you as a guy who only had one stripe, I was a a one-striper. And then second semester, I was what's called a midshipman in ranks. I didn't have a stripe. I was just more crows. Um, That this process of selecting who's going to be brigade leadership is highly scrutinized. It is rigorous. And those who ascend to uh, the six striper rank deserve it across the board, academically, um, mentally, morally, physically, all of those sorts of things. So congratulations to Sydney for this great accomplishment. It's something the class won't forget forever. You know, who your brigade leadership was is something you can recall decades later. And it matters on on the spot, too. I mean, the the uniformed leadership, the active duty officers, the soup and the dot work very closely with the six striper. Uh, and let's not kid ourselves. Second semester is going to be a very challenging environment here as we change administrations and we deal with COVID as we're going to so forth and so on. And, and so she's going to have her work cut off for her. But congratulations for this and congratulations to the Academy for uh, for what we can call uh, great progress. Um, I'd be interested, Chris, in your in your perspective on this. You were at the Naval Academy, um, I think, when Amy Morrison was the brigade commander. Um, yeah. you know, your your plebe year, you know, from from the sense of you and I having you know worked in the E ring, been been around that environment. You know, my experience at the Naval Academy. I know that we considered uh, a couple of candidates uh, during my time there, and it never happened. In my opinion, I, you know. Obviously, long overdue, but it's merit based. It's not based on on any other factor. You know, wh- where do you sit on this? Because it just made me very proud. I'm proud um, that it's another step forward uh, for the Naval Academy and for really for the Naval Service. I mean, uh, last week there was an NPR article 
that talked about far too few uh, African-American admirals uh, in the Navy. And, and this is the Naval Academy and ROTC is, is where um, all of that begins. And so to pick um, a talented person of color, um, a, a woman to be the brigade commander, I think sends a strong signal. Um, I, I wanted to piggyback on what Ward said from the athletic side, um, because I think his comments were spot on when it comes to, uh, you know, diversity of, uh, of race and of sex. But I think it's another endorsement to what the athletic mission of the Naval Academy means um, to building uh, leaders of consequence, as you've talked about. That seems to be a trend that we are seeing more and more over the last d- uh, decade. We are seeing brigade commanders and we are seeing uh, other midshipman leadership uh, plucked from the uh, the athletic teams. And, and I think that that goes to the very heart of the mission of this podcast to really talk about and celebrate the athletic mission as well as the uh, the moral and the mental mission of the Naval Academy. So as we go out uh, in Augusta, Georgia, it is not the right of spring that it used to be when you hear Jim Nance say, hello, friends. Uh, that usually tells you that the azaleas are blooming and that winter is over and the masters has arrived. But now because of COVID and everything else being backwards in 2020, the masters has arrived on November 12th. Um, I am most looking forward to a weekend without rain here in Palm Coast and watching the masters. And my pick in a in an upset out of nowhere is Mark Leishman of Australia. To your point of it's not a right of spring anymore, it's now uh, a fall. So what used to be the silly season is now, you know, they're playing in a Bermuda in some of the recent weeks. Um, so I'm th- I agree with you. It's going to be uh, probably a name that we don't recognize, a journeyman who's probably going to, you know, peak at just the right time. So I think the Phils and the Tigers of the world – um, you know, may not shine. Um, so, but having just played a McKenzie course in the form of Burning Tree, I can fully appreciate um, how it's not your normal, you know, Augusta is not your normal week in and week out kind of golf course. Um, you know, I've never been down there um, and certainly never played it, but having just played it, as I said, Burning Tree and see how fast and undulating those greens are, because people will say to, you know, a guy like me or any of us who are sort of, you know, 10 to 15 handicaps that, you know, you couldn't break 100 at this course. And you're like, yeah, really? And but now I get it. Right. So there are certain horses for courses part of of the, the PGA Tour field. Um, that that always shine at Augusta. Um, you know, uh, it was designed for people who, uh, you know, what fade the ball or draw the ball. I guess it depends on what side of the ball you stand on. But uh, um, my prediction is it's going to be a no name this year. Wags, what is what is your thoughts on the Masters? Uh, you know, being a November event, and and who's your pick? Other than myself or Chris, alas, we did not we did not qualify. You know, I read an interesting story today about how the roars at the Augusta National are like no other, um, you know, it's and it's going to be silent. Uh, so, you know, Tiger was talking about being there early in his career and hearing the roars for Jack Nicklaus and just saying it was a Jack roar. You've never I've never experienced anything like it. Now, so many players know a Tiger roar that has happened at Augusta many times. And, uh, the, you know, I think Phil Mickelson said the same thing about. Uh, 
Tom Watson and Jack Nicholas were playing together and they had back-to-back birdies and the roar shook the ground. He said he, he gets goosebumps thinking about it now. Um, I always go with who's playing hot. You know, that Dustin Johnson came back from COVID and was immediately in the mix this past weekend at Houston. Um, Bryson DeChambeau is supposedly going to debut a 48-inch driver, which unique uh, thing that we have not mentioned on this pod, but Kyle Berkshire, whose father owns Crofton Country Club and who is an Archbishop Spalding graduate, and I'm seeing him over at Crofton all the time because he's apparently trying to get his game fine-tuned so that he can leave the long drive tour and join the the PGA tour. Now he'd obviously have to go to Q school and he probably have to start on the corn ferry, but he's hoping to transition to regular golf. But Kyle Berkshire and Bryson DeChambeau are hooked up in this. Bryson DeChambeau got the idea of let's hit the ball 400 yards after he saw Kyle Berkshire doing it on the long drive contest. Kyle Berkshire is the long drive world champion and they connected and have talked and that's where Bryson DeChambeau got the idea of I'll just hit it a mile and see what happens. So I don't know how that plays at, at the Masters, whether hitting the ball 380, 400 yards is going to help you. But that seems to be his play. It worked at the U.S. Open. I'll go with Bryson DeChambeau. Oh, and just, just, and just the, for the most hated guy on the tour. Awesome. Very well, popular. And just, just, for <laughs> the un, just for the unlearned, the average driver length is 45 inches. That's what your standard off-the-shelf driver is, 45 inches. So three inches longer. Um, and so that's a bold experiment um, with, with we'll, we'll see. Like you said, we'll see what happens. He's either going to be, um, you know, 80 yards out on every hole or he's going to spray it all over the place. Well, uh, let's let's send it over to uh, Chris Cervello. He of the forty-inch driver. I think I uh, <laughs> I witnessed the other day. That was, um, gener- so generous. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought we were playing mini golf for a second. Right. Um, exactly. So uh, so what is your prediction? And I think yeah, I think particularly as we evolve the podcast, that it makes sense for us to have a running kind of you know. Um, you know, PGA Tour money list type of competition between the four of us, and and make this a little bit of a little bit of a thing as we get into the new PGA Tour season. But Chris, what's your uh, what's your prediction as as we start watching as as Jim Nance says hello friends in November instead of April? So first off, I have a little surprise for us. I, I ordered us a Masters gift pack uh, for our Thursday uh, watching pleasure. So we will have pimento cheese, egg salad sandwiches, uh, the the oh. Masters uh, chips, and uh, I got us uh, Masters plastic beer cups. So we will, while we can't be at Augusta, uh, we will be able to enjoy uh, the full uh, atmosphere as we sit around and watch. But my pick is John Rahm. Um, I, I think Augusta fits his game pretty well. Um, I, I do think that um, it'll be interesting to see how uh, how Bryson does. Uh, a lot of people discounted Bryson at the U.S. Open because they said, hey, if you spray it and you get in the rough, you're not going to be able to play. But I also think you're going to have to watch Tiger. If Tiger is sticking around for, uh, after day one and two, um, you, you know, that fits his uh, his modified game very well. So my two would be uh, would be John Rahm and, uh, and Tiger Woods. I like those picks. Um, if I was picking with my heart and not with my head, I'd pick Justin Thomas, who I just think is one of the more entertaining and funny dudes out there. And then I'll be very interested, interested to see 
uh, how Phil does after he missed the cut with a plum. I mean, he's been murdering the senior tour, um, missed the cut in Houston where he traditionally does very well just to continue to see how the post 50 year old Phil Mickelson evolves into the, the, the protagonist or the antagonist in the movie Cobra with uh, Sylvester Stallone, the way that Phil wears the aviator sunglasses now, like he's either practicing to be like the next Terminator character or, or the uh, villain from, from Cobra uh, obscure eighties movie reference there. So um, from uh, Palm Coast, Florida, um, I am John Schofield for Ward Carroll and Bill Wagner. Go Navy, beat Army. We are Sing Second Sports out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.